how they verbalize it out loud, they start catching themselves going, wow, I'm really not committed to this. I think it's a seven iron or I hope it fades. And, and they start realizing that, wow, I'm not committed to many of these shots. And welcome back to another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. We got Matt Cermak, our other co-host. Welcome aboard. Thanks for hopping on board the part train. Our mission on the train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course. And we believe if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We feature interviews from PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, coaches like Rick Sessinghouse today, and many more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and give you the tools to enjoy the ride. Before we get to this interview with Rick, a quick word from our friends at Roback. Guys, before you fast forward through this ad read, we said it last week, I'll say it again. You gotta be careful with our friends at Roback because I guarantee you, I am making a guarantee, Matt. Wow. If you buy your first item of Roback Performance Apparel, by the way, if you do and you use our link in the show notes or linked in our social bios at the Partrain, you'll get 15% off your first order. I guarantee you, you will never go back to another brand. It is the best fitting, the best looking, four-way stretch, moisture, like anything you want in a shirt, by the way, it stays crisp after every wash. The collars have these built-in crisp things. I don't know. Details. The technology, who Details. Cares? I'm telling you, our closets are filled with rowback. It's all I wear, genuinely. I mean, I'm not just I saying mean, you that got, because they're a part. Have you got the hoodie on? I got the vest. I got the polo. I mean, this is what we do every day. I mean, it, it, doesn't, get, it doesn't get any better. My now fiance, Tara, shout out fiance wow what's uh, up tara <laughs> all she wears now are my hoodies from roback <laughs> wow you're gonna have to get more yeah i have four <laughs> i'm gonna need to get more because she literally wears them and i'm like where are all my hoodies going and she smiles because that's all she wears guys hit the link get 15 percent off you're probably gonna get more it's that good it's it's the best okay rick sessinghouse quick bio on rick he's been coaching for over 27 years he's got his doctorate of applied sports psychology but he's been a swing coach as well forever and he's been working with colin morikawa since he was eight years old okay he's also the mental performance consultant for ucla men's golf team he's the head of mental performance for urban golf performance in la we've had them on the show um he's written a book golf the ultimate mind game rick is number one a great guy great energy um you can tell that him and colin are an amazing team and they work through things in a very relatable straightforward way like anyone can do what they are doing but they're so committed and i i think this could do a lot for the average golfers game yeah a lot of good correlations have between you know what the work he does with you know morikawa and some of the great players in the world and also we talk a lot about you know what the average golf weekend golfer can do and it has a lot to do with routines and uh he was awesome like he said high energy he just man he just makes you better He's yeah. just kind of always fired up and, and it, it's fascinating to listen to somebody who's got, you know, he's got his, he's a swing coach, you know, or, or, or you know, he does teaching at, at all parts of your game. And he's also a mental game coach too. So he's got students just for that. And he's got students for both. And um, I think he, uh, I think he's going to be around for a long time and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if other players start, you know, really start calling him up, you know, yeah. because he's been with Colin since he's eight years old. We talk a lot about Colin's childhood and how, he was able to develop him as a player physically and mentally. So just an awesome episode. I felt really grateful to get Rick on the show. This is a really important interview for a lot of people out there looking to get better, not just in golf, but in life. So um, thank you to the, the guys at UGP for introducing us. And um, I love those guys. Yeah. As always, thank you for hopping aboard. If we've provided any value to your game at all, definitely give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts, write us a review, share with a friend. The Instagram, the Twitter, the TikTok, it's all deadly. So if you're not on there. Off the charts right now. If you're not on there, guys, it's growing like crazy. I don't know what you're doing. Hop aboard that too. Wake up. It'll help you. You you may not have time to listen to every podcast every week, but you definitely got time to see an Instagram post that can help you with your game. So get on there. Give us a follow. Matt, no matter how they're hitting it, no matter how they're feeling, what do they got to do this weekend when they play? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care.
Rick, a lot of interviews start off with some softballs, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, on the part train, we like to go deep. So I'm going to start off a little bit deep. Okay. All right. Um, I actually, this is coming from my own life, Rick. I actually had a call with my own coach this week and we talked a lot about the traps that myself I fall into, but I think a lot of people fall into, which is we see things in black and white. Um, either I'm being productive or I'm being lazy. That's mm. a good shot or it's a bad shot. And I've actually seen a video. I've heard you say to Colin before that I don't think you guys even classify shots as good shots and bad shots. And I wanted to start today's conversation off with how important you think embracing the gray is and accepting things as they are versus classifying as good or bad. Love it. Yes, I'm very much into the gray area because I think we all have our own interpretations of an event, and in this case, a golf shot. And it's very easy to label it as good or bad. And then once we have that thought, it does trigger an emotional response. So if it's good, oh, wow, I feel good about my self-confidence. All right, this is awesome. If it's bad, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And there's frustration that ensues. So I think it's unfair for the golfer to just put it in one or two of those uh, compartments, right? We know that golf has a lot of gray area. We could hit a thin shot, it feels horrible, and it rolls up to two feet. Yeah. Well, is that a good shot or a bad shot? Well, you ask an intermediate player, they go, it's a great shot, it's just two feet away. You ask an elite player, they go, that, that's horrible. Wait, wait a second. I thought the goal was to get the ball close to the hole. But we have these other interpretations of what the result is. And it's their interpretation of the feeling and the experience and all that stuff. So that's where we have to be careful of is that immediate label does create an emotional response. And, you know, I, I know you're a lot about enjoyment of the game. So if I keep labeling things bad and bad and bad, you know, good luck enjoying it. Right. So, yeah. so part of the concept here right. is we're always learning and we're always going, huh. That ball went 40 feet to the left of my target. I wonder why is different than that is horrible. I can't believe I missed the green from hundred yards. But, and then that self-talk keeps perpetuating these emotional responses. And then you're on this train where four or five holes later, you are frustrated and you can't focus in the present moment. You're still beating yourself up for that. So I'm very much into, you can label it, but why don't we label it more with facts? Why don't we learn from it? Why don't we be able to move on and process it because we got the next shot, which we want to be fully present for. So I can go on a lot on that, but that's kind of my first initial um, response to that. Yeah, well, you mentioned that's the train we don't want to be on, right? right. We want to be on the par train. So I totally, I totally agree. <laughs> I think what's interesting about what you just said, Rick, <laughs> is I've actually heard you say mistakes can wake up Colin. They don't get him yes. down. Right. And your example of the thin to two feet, a lot of amateurs will get down on themselves on that because that's a response to show other people that that wasn't the shot I know I could hit. So it's our ego kind of protecting ourselves. But I think that's really important. And how can the amateur golfer learn from your work with Colin and, and Colin on the course where mistakes can wake, wake us up for a learning moment? instead of getting you down. Sure. And I think, you know, we've all been frustrated on the golf course. This is not about being happy all the time. I want to make yeah. that very, very clear. We can use a poor result as motivation to say, wait a second, I actually hit a poor golf shot because I wasn't fully engaged. I wasn't doing my pre-shot routine. It, most people just blame their golf swing. Again, I'm biased to the mental game. I believe at least 50% of our mistakes are mental mistakes where I wasn't fully engaged. I wasn't confident. I was thinking about what I don't want, so on and so forth. Yeah, I hit the shot anyways. But if I can now look at the shot and go, huh, I'm curious why that ball went where it went. Curiosity is a great replacement for fear. Fear is something I don't want to get into. But if I'm curious about, huh, I wonder why it went there. Was that mental? Was that physical? Then you, again, talk about the train. We're not going down the bogey train anymore. We're getting back on the par train because we actually have some information to deal with now. We can go, oh, dang it. I wasn't fully committed to that. Again, there was water on the right. I was fearful of that. I steered it left. Okay, come on. Do a better, better job next time of getting my pre-shot routine to have a clear picture. Other times, it'll be a physical mistake. Club face was closed. Ball went left. Ah, dang it. I'm doing that again, early releasing. Okay, just have that yeah. feeling of going down there. Now I'm doing something with the information instead of just beating myself up. So instead of being critical, we're always want to get what we call feedback loop to learn. Yeah. 
Rick, welcome to the show again. Great to have you on. You're talking about information. We heard you say a quote um, about Colin, and I'm going to read the quote to you and kind of dig in. He takes in the information and the variables and he sets a strategy and he embraces it. And then it's game time. The, the fact that he takes things in as information, sets a strategy, embraces it, and boom, it's time to execute is something that a lot of people could practice themselves. Certainly. And I think that the key thing is being in the moment of embracing the moment. Um, some people are going to be anxious and worried about a possible future mistake. What could go wrong, right? That's more anxiety. Oh, I don't know what could go wrong. Ball could go here. Ball could go here. Okay. But the other end of excitement is the ball also could go two feet to by the hole. Okay. And I'm not saying we should play with excitement all the time because that might be too high of what we call an intensity level. But once you get the data in, and you make a best strategy for your own skill set, then I think it's, there should be like, I can't wait to hit this damn shot. This is going to be cool. I get the opportunity, but most people will shy away because they're still so focused on what could go wrong and what that may mean and their score. And it's going to be embarrassing and all this baggage that now happens. And I think um, Colin and other players that I work with, they go, okay, I want to be fully immersed in this present moment. Part of that is paying attention to the lie and the wind and the variables. I pick a strategy based on my strength and then might as well go in with it. Like, man, I can't wait to hit this damn shot. Right. And so I think that's part attitude. It's part processing of, of focus, but we really are trying to keep people in the present moment. I know that's very cliche, but one shot at a time, it's very easy to get ahead of ourselves in that, what we don't want, which is anxiety based, or we're still frustrated from the last shot. So we're bringing that frustration to the present moment. So being in that good pre-shot routine and taking in data, which is very neutral, is taking some of the emotion out and then you play to your strengths and then you see the shot. But that last piece, you're right, is like that co competitive side in us going, man, I can't wait to hit this, this thing close. I think that is a superpower. Well, Rick, as a follow-up, the challenge is when you, when you get on a tee box and you don't like the tee shot and then you end up making mm -hmm. a terrible swing, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's easy to get down on your physical side when really you were never comfortable, you never got comfortable, but you made, and then you make a terrible swing you know, that, that can be challenging. Oh, definitely. And that's, I'm a very, uh, I'm a big proponent as I've kind of already alluded to here about post-shot routine, right? Let's learn from every golf shot without judging ourselves of I'm bad. I'm this, I'm that. I could certainly say, I just hit a tee shot 50 yards to the left of my target. That's the fact. Okay. But the curiosity in me now says, I wonder why to me is better than your, your swing stinks again. I can't believe you did this again. Right. That's not going to help us moving forward. Me watching a ball go 50 yards offline, I'm not happy, okay? <laughs> but I'm curious, like, huh, I wonder why it went there. Most people just go, yep, there's my swing again. I'm close the club face. Again, I think there might be a mental component to that is if I was never fully committed in the first place, and I use the example of there's water on the right, I went in that water yesterday, my brain says, don't go there. Okay, whoop, 50 yards left. So <laughs> right. the body was the, the anti-right swing. <laughs> exactly. So so the brain was actually trying to help you because it had a stressful threat in this environment to the right. So it just said, well, you don't want that. I'll, I'll make sure you don't get that. Yet we still get mad at the 50 yards left, but we were never fully engaged in the target. We were never committed to the shot in the first place. Again, easier said than done. I understand that. But what we're talking about here is let's learn from that. Say, you know what? I got to do a better job of really focusing on what I want. I got to recall a past experience that was similar to this of hitting a great drive when I had water on the right. Our mind, we can train it to now focus on what we want as best yeah, we can. Yeah, and, and it's tough because what's so different, what's so difficult about this game is is, is <laughs> making yourself make easy swings. And sometimes that means sacrificing yardage off the tee, mm. right? Or mm. convincing yourself that you know what, this is going to be a hard hole to birdie. So maybe you need to hit hybrid, you know, because you're, because yes. you know, it's a dog leg left and you're, and you're a left to right player. I just thought this from experience over the, over the weekend. And it's just, Definitely. this is a constant challenge. Right. And I think that the word I use a lot is expectations, right? So we have to check in with each golfer's expectations and some people are extremely unrealistic, right? Um, so you hear a lot of, I should never three putt. And I go, okay, well, good luck with that. Um, and it could be, I want to have a goal today to have a really good speed control by visualizing my line and seeing the ball go in the hole and doing breathing to help me regulate and being calm. Now I have some process goals that are behavior-based that may lead to my better putting performance, right? But we focus a lot on expectations of, oh, I should 
I should hit it within 10 feet from 100 yards all the time, even the PGA Tour averages, whatever, 14 feet, 10 inches, right? right. So people's expectations are all out of whack, okay? <laughs> so that already sets them up for frustration, okay? And so if we can know, and I was laughing a little bit when you said, you know, like hitting it harder and stuff, there's kind of this rule in that I'm a swing coach is like, have people swing at 80%, right? And then they hit the ball and they go, huh, that's the furthest seven iron I've hit all time. All time. I go, oh, it's interesting. Swing at 80% to get 100% outcome because we're now embracing that it, it can be effortless. It can be fluid. It doesn't have to be forced is also a concept that people have a tough time. They want to control it. They want to add effort. This is important. And then of course it gets in the way of this fluid, smooth swing. Yeah. Golf yeah. is kind of this backdoor game. There's a lot of unexpected learnings like that, right? Where like your example of missing at 50 yards left, Rick, a, it, it's really hard for a 15 handicap to feel good, especially, especially if that's the shot you hate the most. <laughs> right which is the case for serm here like a left miss it drives sermat crazy mine the big block was more of the shot i i struggled with over the years so we all have that one shot that creates that right um but it's a tough thing for amateurs to grasp because it's really the only way to achieve the shots you want is to accept the bad ones accept any of them and and really stick to a process that isn't as uh, controlling, which is a hard thing for people to understand mm -hmm. because of course they wanna try and control the outcome, but the only way to really get the outcome you want is to let go. No, and that's, that's a great point. And I think it's not about forgetting about that golf shot, right? Like some sure. people say, oh, just forget about it. I, I, I think that's almost impossible. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna process it instead in a more conscious way. At the end of the round, if I, if I've hit five drives, 50 yards left, and let's say one of them was mental, but four of them were physical, I would certainly want to know what are the mechanical things I want to work on, right? This is not about putting, pushing to the side. I guess I just hit a bad shot, but it's now having enough information to go, hmm, that's a pattern that's showing up. I need to maybe talk to my golf coach about saying, hey, you know, I'm doing this again. And then you can identify it. And, and I know this sounds like a kind of silly advice, but now you have hope. Don't you? I go to a coach and I go, oh, I'm doing that again. The club faces, I'm coming under plane and flipping it. Oh, that's right. Let's do that. Now you have hope that it's going to get better. But if I just beat myself up there, I go again, there I go again. There's no tangible next step for you. So I look for patterns of performance, whether it's a mental um, pattern of, of fear or dis distractions or doubts or a physical pattern. Wow. I hit a lot of drives left today and I mentally was fine, but gosh, dang it. I'm doing that again. I want to know when I go to the range next, that would be something relevant to work on. Okay. So again, it's not about forgetting it. It's not about it's, but it's about working with it and want to embrace that. I want to get better at it. And I believe I can get better at it. That's a whole other discussion about growth mindset that I actually can do something about it. Some people feel hopeless uh, as golfers. Sure. Rick, I'm fascinated to discuss a little bit how you, well, how you got started with, with Colin, especially when he was a kid, since you have so much sure. history together. But, you know, I grew up playing um, since I was three, four years old and I you know, played in high school and played in college and all that. And I had a coach at a young age, you know, and, and from the mental side, very curious to how you started to incorporate or when you started to incorporate the mental game into, you know, Colin's physical game. In my experience, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, it was my coach really tried to, you know, control our help control your emotions a little bit. Don't get too mad out there. And also think that there's more than maybe one way to play a hole you know you can yeah you know definitely to, to get them so that's kind of just early experiences but i'm curious how you guys you know got started and really progressed on the mental side sure yeah no it's uh yeah I'm, again so fortunate i've worked with so many great juniors great college players and and colin now going to this other level has been has been awesome and and what i've learned i've been doing this for 27 years so i've had a lot of experience is I want the student to take ownership. I want them to have the experience, not me just tell, I don't coach everybody the same, okay? Um, and, and Colin already at an early age, I met him when he was eight years old at a, a, a little driving range here in Glendale, California. And um, what I saw immediately was somebody who loved the game, who was curious, who was coachable, who was competitive, who listened, and all these things that you want, I don't care if they're eight years old or 40 years old, right? Somebody who wanted to learn. That was awesome. 
then it was most of my golf lessons then and still to this day are on the golf course. So 70% of our golf lessons were on the golf course. And I wanted to advocate playing over perfect golf positions and all those type of yep. things. I wanted him to make his own decisions on the golf course. So what I did a lot then, and I still do now is a little three ball drill. So we would be in the middle of a, of a par four and I would throw a ball down wherever the ball finished, it finished. Uh, I'm very much into random variable practice, by the way. And I would ask him, so Colin, how do you see this shot? How do you want to play it? And he may come up with all the numbers and we would go through a pre-shower team, even at an early age. And I said, he would go, I'm going to hit hybrid. I'm going to hit to the left of the green, da, da, da. Great. He would hit it. I'd say, okay, you get second ball. You can choose a different shot. Mm. You can learn from what you just did. Tell me what would you on a ball too. And then he may do the same shot. Or he may say, oh, wow, that rough was a little thicker than I thought. I'm going to go with a more lofted hybrid this time. Now he's learning. Now ball three was always my choice. I see the shot like this, Colin. How about you put the ball back in stance here? So the ball comes out. It'll come out a little lower, but I think it'll get ball first instead of the rough. And then you go, oh, so it was a learning thing, not just jumping on ball one saying, you should put the ball back in stance. I've learned a lot from my students going, wow, I never saw that shot. And that's actually better than my option as a coach. Right. Right. So yeah. I wanted him to embrace playing and looking at the variables, making mistakes like, wow, that rough was thicker or that ball below my feet did make it go low right. Or instead of me just telling him it would do this. Yeah. So that was part of our process. And then as he got older and we're preparing for tournaments and strategy and stuff like that, it made much more sense because yeah. he could understand the whole locations and firmness of green stuff because we've already experienced that on a golf course. Yeah. Uh, before you jump in, I, I I just got a quick follow up here. I've also Rick, I've also seen you do the drill with with Colin. You know, take on the range, take it to the take it to the top, and I'm going to call your shot. Right? We used to do that as kids too, and right, right, get, feeling the club head. You know, feeling where your what your body can actually do, and you can surprise yourself. So I love that. But also the playing lessons. <laughs> so often when I'd have a playing lesson, I'd play great, and we we talk about it a lot in the show. We talked about yes. it in the last episode, but it was all about verbalization. Because coach is sitting next, you're sitting next to Colin or coach is sitting next to me. All right. What are we doing? What's the shot? What's the speed? What's the move? And we talk and then there's something such a power to that. So talk about yes. that a little bit. Sure. I think, you know, thank, thanks for bringing that up because part of my uh, on-course coaching is about verbalizing shots. And I do it for two reasons. One is I ask people, do you visualize a golf shot? And some say, ah, Rick, I have a tr trouble with that. And I go, okay, great. Why don't we talk the shot out then? And so mm -hmm. I just frame it as what does a good shot look like here? And some of that's a little clunky at first, like, uh, well, Rick, uh, I'm going to try to hit it on the left side and maybe it'll fade. And, and you start hearing these words like try and maybe mm -hmm. and hope. I said, okay, we're going to take that language out. <laughs> now tell me specifically, what club? Oh, seven iron. Where do you want it to start? Uh, there's a tree in the background. Okay. And what do you want to do with the air? How high is it going to go? Uh, mid trajectory like this. Uh, what's it going to do in the air? It's going to fade. Uh, how much? Oh, six feet. It's going to land uh, where? Oh, uh, 148 yards. And I just, I prime them with questions and I get them more and more like this. And before you know it, words are symbols. So now they have where it started, the flighting of it, where it's going to end, how it's going to roll out on the green. And now you have a picture that's put together. So part yeah. of that, what does a good shot look like here is creating a visualization representation of it. But the other part, which I think is as important, is how they verbalize it out loud. They start catching themselves going, wow, I'm really not committed to this. I'm in between clubs. I'm kind of telling you, I think it's a seven iron or I hope it fades. And, and they start realizing that, wow, I'm not committed to many of these shots. Right. And so by, ex <laughs> by, ex by saying it out loud, uh, and now people who work with me more than one time, they get the point. They catch themselves saying, I'll try. No, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. so you see that shift and that helps their confidence. So part of, you know, high level, I call it flow, but high level peak performance is flow follows focus. I want somebody completely focused in the present moment. And if they can visualize, if they can verbalize it, if they, I know that there's more details to that, they're in the present moment. Well, how true is this, Rick? Just in life in general, I, yeah. cause I coach uh, some golfers as well. Mentally, I've coached companies with stress management and you know, the one thing I see um, with people that are high performing and mo more importantly, fulfilled yes. is uh, they do the opposite of what most people do. Most people sit in what they don't want 
and they're constantly in what they don't want. It's actually very rare for people to verbalize what they want. You'll notice yeah, like exactly. everybody wants more money, everybody wants, but everybody, it's not many people answer quickly when you ask them, what do yeah. you want like out of this, correct. right? Correct. And even I saw, the, I saw this this week in the match, uh, Brady was short-sighted in a bunker. He had a kind of a tough stance. And I don't know if you saw this, but Phil goes, Tom, you, you got this shot. You hit this shot all the time. Just it's uphill. Um, so it'll help you. It's an uphill lie. Just, you know, maintain your speed. And you got this. This is e easily in your arsenal. And it's crazy the impact. Obviously, it helps when it's Phil Mickelson. Sure. But even when you have a partner or a friend or a coach, when someone just says, yeah, I like that shot. I like that. Boom. It's like immediate commitment. And it's a reminder about vocalization. It's really rare that we do that shot to shot to shot. That alone, I think, could help a lot of people. Exactly. And you talk about stress and, and stress is neither good or bad. It's just how much and how you're interpreting it. Yet you're right. We're wired to look for threats in our environment. So we see a bunker, we see a, a water hazard and our brain looks at that as a threat and a stress response kicks in. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying ignore that because that's part, but it's data. It's not good or bad. It's a data point. And based on this right. and this, I'm going to aim here. And then we get focused on what we want. Right. And you bring up and bring up a great point is, is when I, <laughs> ask people, Hey, what's a good shot look like here? Half the time they're telling me immediate what they don't want. Yeah. I don't want to go here like I did yesterday in that bunker. Cause then I made double and they have this big story about it. And then, then that stress response kicks in again. And so being able to, to, to manage that, I, I think is crucial. And you, you know, I, I talk about, um, like a caddy exercise. Not many people have had caddies. I get that, but yeah. If you had a caddy, a good caddy, what would they, they would be encouraging. They'd be supportive. Hey, I remember you hit the shot last time, right? Um, yet we rarely talk to ourselves in that manner, right? Mm -hmm. You would fire a caddy if he said half the things we say to ourselves. Right. Right? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> what, you're telling me I suck and I can't do this? You're fired, right? I mean, <laughs> but we say that to ourselves all the time. But if you have a good caddy, I mean, Colin has one of the best caddies. He's there to certain reinforce and say, hey, I like that shot. Good. Commit. Boom. Yeah, he's got that nice, that, that. Second voice there, that's awesome. Uh, you just don't want that other one voice competing against the other voice, right? And now we have a lot of conflict in our brain and that's not, uh, that's not good either. Yeah, so Rick, I wanna talk really quickly about expectations. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. I think it's one of the most common things in sports uh, that just look at Phil after the PGA, right? Look at any top pro after a really low round. How hard is it to follow up a really good performance with another good performance? And when I look at Colin's career, Colin's one of those rare breeds that has consistently gone up level to level. And it'd be really easy after his first win to press and plateau or even get worse. And I want to understand how you guys talk about balancing, striving for more while not letting expectations get in the way? Yeah, it, it, great question. And I think, uh, and he said this in the media, so it's nothing that I'm sharing that he hasn't, is he had a, a little bit of struggle after the PGA win uh, about two or three months of, you know, th there was, and he wouldn't say expectations, it's just maybe a little low, like, a, you know, oh my gosh, I just won the PGA. I guess I could just show up and, and right. play well every week. Um, and so we then had a, a great conversation after the, uh, the masters that was in November, <laughs> um, and, uh, about, Hey, we, we're going to set some new goals. We're, we're going to, uh, see what we've done well here for this uh, first year and a half of his, uh, professional career. We always want to emphasize what we have done well and what has, and we get all the stats and all that stuff. We're very little into stat stuff, but it, it's a good way to, to measure where we're at with certain areas of our game. Um, but we talk a lot about uh, standards and behaviors and stuff like that is how do you want to show up to a golf course is sometimes more important than what my intentions, what, sh what I'm going to shoot. Okay. Now he has said several times he wants to be the number one player in the world. Well, that's going to require him across the board to get 1% better. Okay. Um, and that doesn't mean that if he has a bad round that, oh my gosh, I'm now further away. So no, 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 It's, are we trending in the right direction? So we do a lot of post round post-tournament uh, assessments. And it could be 
for two minutes, honestly. Hey, yeah. what do we what do we do well today? What do we learn? What do we got to work on? And if we keep that cycle going with the feedback loop, we start catching things quicker. Uh, I was with him in Las Vegas, um, and uh, this is before he left for the Scottish Open, British Open swing. Is we're just refining routines. We're saying, huh, what happened here at the U.S. Open round one compared to round two that we had a little different outcomes. Uh, and then we we talk about maybe what there was, maybe a disconnect with the visualization or something like that. So it's nitty gritty, but he's open. He's open to the feedback. Not everybody is, by the way. And he doesn't look at it as as back to our black and white thing, like oh I failed. It's like, huh, that's not where I where I want it. Let's go from here. Expectations usually what other people put on you. We try to say that's irrelevant. Sure. <laughs> I'll just say that nicely that way. <laughs> well, Rick, I, I, I want to ask a, a, a question about his physical game and it's an adjustment you guys made. I guess if Colin had a little lull there, it had to do with his putting because mm. he's such a wonderful ball, ball striker. I mean, he's been called the Ben Hogan of our time by a few people. Right. There's reasons for it. So he went to the claw and and then he, he won pretty quickly after that. Correct. Talk about that adjustment. And sometimes we forget that we need to change things up and why that can be so freeing sure. from a physical and mental perspective. Sure. No, and I think, you know, this is the thing with, um, for all of us golfers that have the ups and downs of performance is be careful how you label it. So mm -hmm. I've always labeled Colin as a streaky putter. Mm-hmm. And the data would the data would support that he won the PGA. He was strokes gain number one that week in putting. So you can't tell me he's a bad putter, right? Okay, he's been number two. He's been number six, I think, at WGC concession. I mean, he knows how to putt. He can make so, putts. <laughs> so, so we have to understand whether what grip he uses is that where's the disconnect from week to week. I can get into a whole long story of how do we adapt to different speeds and all that kind of stuff. But he's been streaky for a long time. As a mental game coach, I'm trying to get him in the same mindset, putt to putt, round to round. Uh, some greens are easier to be comfortable on. A word he uses a lot is being comfortable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's goofed around with left hand low in college, different putters and stuff like that. He's the tinkerer. But he doesn't look at it as like, I'm bad at putting. It's like, I want to get better at putting. That's a difference. Okay. Yeah. And so now he's like, I want to get better. I want to get better. I'm seeing this. Okay. But I'm going to take some of that, which we did on the routine. I'm going to take this alignment thing we've done and we're, we're, we're always sculpting it. Right. Mm -hmm. So he runs into Marco Mira in, in Las Vegas, sees Mark uh, using the, whatever we want to call grip. And so uh, he was like, the saw, saw, whatever. Right? Yeah. And, and it's like, and it's like, he's going, Hey, why do you do that? Mark? Right. And Mark gave him his reasons. And then he tried it out and goes, huh, that helps me release the putter through better. Huh. Okay. And then we did it at Riviera and I saw him putt and JJ's caddy saw him putt. We go, huh, that looks better coming through the ball. So now his stats at LA, Riviera were awful. So now you're like, oh, I should throw it away. He goes, no, I'm more comfortable. He mm -hmm. believed that it was going to lead to something. Then the next week he wins WGC. Right. So, so it's being open that not one result of one round, I should just throw it away if it doesn't work. He, and, and I trust him as, as a student, he goes, this feels better. I'm more comfortable. Now it took him a full week to get used to it. That's it. And then boom, he wins. It's and he bad. made some clutch putts down the line and he has a lead. There's all this great stuff. So he can deal with pressure. So we're always trying to refine some of the physical stuff. Like, Hey, that helps the putter swing through and release the putter head better. Awesome. We have mental things. We have speed stuff. We have visualization. So it's for me as a coach, it's always fun putting all the different puzzle pieces together, but as those players out there listening to it, please don't get into, again, back on our black or white argument. I'm putting horrible. I'm a horrible putter. Look at it. Hey, is it speed driven? Is it line driven? Is it my mm -hmm. routine? And what can I actually work on to get a little bit better that next day? Right. Right. No, it's interesting. And, and you mentioned this earlier, you talk about getting to that state of flow uh, and, and how important that is. And as you know, I mean, as we all know, playing this game, you wake up one day, you feel great. You wake up the next day, you don't feel great. And then when you're life on tour, you may see that one of your players doesn't seem all there that week. And you've got to work a little harder to get them to that state of flow. So maybe talk about how much do you have to double down on Colin's routine when he maybe seems, you know, there's just going to take a little more work to get there. Like, what are those conversations like? Are those pretty open conversations? 
because you don't want to be negative at the same time. No, no, no. no. <laughs> they're always they're they're always open with him because he's so coachable and he wants to get better. I, I'm not going to use him as an example as much because he's a very disciplined athlete and he sure. does the things day in and day out. But I certainly work with a lot of college players and you see a huge variance of their performance. And then when you dig down, you you look at, oh, Rick, yeah, I had a hard time playing in this uh, 36 hole today because I have a midterm right. I was concerned about doing at the hotel. I mean, I work for UCLA's golf team, right? Yeah. It's like, holy smokes, they're supposed to take a midterm later that night. And then they have another 18 holes and they're stressed and they've traveled. And so we start seeing a lot of that creates interference, right? They don't have the same energy. They're worried about other things. And they said, hey, so but back to the idea of, yes, we want to double down on routines. So Colin does the same warm up in the hotel every single day. He has awesome fitness trainers at, at UGP, right? He's got Ryan and Leo from there is where they know to get his body to feel the same every single day, he's going to get proper sleep. He's going to wake up. He's going to do his 25 minutes. He's going to get to the golf course a, a, an hour and 20 minutes. He's going to, yes, the routines are crucial. And there's mental routines that go with it. There's focusing on the, uh, on the range ahead of time to go through your routines. And what's my first tee shot today and waking that up too. So there's a lot of things that are, are in our control, but it takes discipline. A lot of people, and this is a little pet peeve of mine, I get uh, a lot of these juniors, amateur players. It's like, oh, this is such an important tournament. Oh, I got to be on my best. And I'm going, and they, they think they have to try harder and they have to do something extra. I said, every time you put a club in your hand is an opportunity to play great golf. But they want to label it, this is more important. And then they, guess what? They start changing your routines. Like, I'll get to the golf course even earlier. And I'll just like, no, you want to show up every single day. Why don't we do the same things? And, and that's boring for people to want to, do their same routines every single day, but that's the part of the greatness part. I can relate to doing homework in the van on the way to a tournament or a <laughs> turning in a paper before exactly. midnight when you got 36 holes and you're carrying your back in the heat, right? So. Yeah. Rick, you made me think of something interesting. I've talked to my own coach again about this is, um, you know, when you're feeling off again, easy to go black and white. Like I'm used to being a high performer. I just feel off. I like, can't focus today and you put yourself down and it's it's very you know far to the other side of the spectrum uh i think something that's not even necessarily golf related but life related is she'll ask me if i'm feeling off what are my routines lately what are my habits lately a lot of times you can uncover things just because you're not doing the things you need to do and that's just that's just a learning moment and you get back to your habits, your routines. And then as you're going on your habits and routines, you talked about comfort, right? We talked about focus. We talked about energy. Start to take note of, oh, okay, when I do this in the morning, I have more energy. When I do this at night, I feel more rested. You know, and, and you guys, I'm sure, have locked in on that routine and secret sauce that helps Colin. But I think that's really important for everyone, not just in golf, but life as well. Yeah, I mean, habits is uh, really the thread of our results, isn't it? Um, yeah. People want to have these, like, tell me these 10 steps to do something. It's like, okay, well, wake up similar time every day, do some meditation, move your body, hydrate yourself, uh, go and have a gratitude journal, have some goals, you know, but 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 that's not sexy enough. I, I, I need the, these matches. It's like, well, that's what you need to do daily to build uh, the type of life that you want and golf is no different. And it's interesting. We talk about routines with Colin is he's going on a stretch right now. As we record this, he's playing in the Scottish open, British open week off Olympics in Tokyo flies to Memphis, Tennessee's for WGC. He's never experienced this before. So yeah. with the help of the guys at UGP, Ryan and Leo and me, we said, okay, we know there's going to be jet lag. How do we minimize jet lag? How do we, da, 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 right. We're trying to think ahead. This is our first experience of him going in all these different time zones in such a short of time. So we are planning ahead the best that we can. Okay. And then he's going to give us plenty of information afterwards to say, Hey guys, maybe I need to show up one more day earlier, or I need to do this or great. So it's not, Oh, it's horrible. It's like, Oh, I learned from this and maybe it works fine. Great. So we're always learning too, but it's all about asking questions. And it's about, you said it is what are those habits and those routines that are non-negotiable that need to be taken every single day. And I don't think enough people realize the importance of that. Well, Rick, and, and you talk about, you know, this obsession about routine and how good you guys are at it. But I think about some of the listeners on this show that tee it up on Saturdays or Sundays and they don't have a 
nutritionist or a strength coach, but what you can take away is look, you can show up an hour before every, you know, every, every time and you can stretch and you can hit balls, you know, and if that course doesn't have a range, well, maybe you got to show up a little before, you know, enough before to get that stretch in or, you know, eat the same breakfast and bring the same snacks. Right. These are, that's going to help you, you know, put your mind at ease to all, you know, ultimately help a, maybe a, you know, a double digit handicap perform. Exactly. I mean, if you look at people's scorecards, let's say that, that 18 handicap and you get a lot of, well, I started poorly double, double, double because I wasn't warmed up. And it's like, okay, we've seen this as a pattern. You're not gonna do anything about this. It's like, how about just 20 minutes ahead of time? Let's do five (laughs) minutes of stretching. Let's hit a few putts to get speed control. Let's hit five drivers. I'm not asking for a bunch of let's do a full yoga session or something like that. Right. But let's also have an intention. I think the other part is from a mental perspective, I want people to have an intention for the round of golf. It doesn't mean score, by the way, it could be, Hey, today I want to enjoy myself. I want to have, uh, use my post-shot routine today instead of getting frustrated to learn. I'm going to use my pre-shot routine to stay focused on what I want by uh, verbalizing into my head what I want. Now we have these behaviors that are in their control again, that has an intention for the round instead of, I got to shoot a certain score. I'm in this money game and I got to, I'm two down already. And then it blows them out of the water because one, they're not even ready for the first tee. And then their intention is all about outcome and what could go wrong. And we're trying to give people a little bit more ownership of their performance. Yeah. And one thing I'll say, and then I've jumped back in is what I've learned, right. When you, this is like, you know, become a trunk slammer, so to speak. Right. (laughs) And you're, you know, it's not like college or growing up where everything was, you you try to position yourself to, to ultimately perform with the right routine. But I always found myself, if it's, a, if it's a short hole, like a 350 or a 380 yard par four, I'm not hitting driver on the first hole. I want to make an easy swing. And so many people, you know, just come out and just rip driver and it goes in a w- bad place. And it's just like, I just want to feel something easy comfort. on the first hole. You're yeah. reaching for and comfort. I think, you know, and I think the pros sometimes think about that too. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's back to, you said the key word is comfort is what, how, what can I do on that first tee to be the most comfortable? I'm not saying you're going to be comfortable, but closer to that. There's going to be the, the nervousness. There could be a little right. anxiety. There could be a little excitement. My, my friend's already trash talking. Okay. Okay. But, but <laughs> once again, in my control is, okay, where's the wind coming from? Hmm. What's the best shot for me? Is it three wood? Is it driver? You know what? I'm going to swing at 80% with three wood. I'm going to get it out there. Let's have a nice balanced finish. Boom. Now, I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing that ball's going to be at the fairway, but at least right. I got a heck of a lot better likelihood <laughs> that it's totally. going to. Uh, and you are playing either to playing to strengths or you're playing within yourself. All these things that we can do, even a simple thing, I'm going to hold my finish on my first tee shot. Mm. Now I have balance. I have I like better that. tempo. I'm going to hit hopefully somewhere near the center of the face now. I mean, so these things can add up because you, we know in confidence, a lot of it's momentum based right? And so you hit that first tee shot, you go, oh, there's a relief, like, oh, okay, I got totally. it. Those but if it goes sideways, like, right, if it goes sideways, like, oh, there I go again. And then there's this, the stress response goes right through the roof. And then it takes two or three holes for it to simmer down. And then we get into those same cycles. So I yeah. totally agree with you that uh, being comfortable could be different decisions and how we swing for sure. Right. Just got to get off that first tee. <laughs> yes. So Rick, you talked about intention. Um, we've had a lot of amazing interviews lately, and I've seen a trend with intention. We've had Tim Mickelson on recently after Phil won the PGA. We've talked to Scott Fawcett of Decade Golf and many others. And the trend of intention is they give themselves chances. They focus on chances. And I see this as the one thing that separates really good players, not even pros, but like scratch players, good juniors versus the 15 or even the the six or the eight is all they want to do is give themselves chances. Whereas, you know, the regular amateur, they're focusing more on the win, the result, the, the score. Sure. Whereas the really good player knows the more chances they get, the better chance they have to win and make good scores. Or so like, it, it's a funny dichotomy, right? You wouldn't think that a Colin Morikawa would deliberately aim 30 feet left of a flag. Mm-hmm. And he still knows there's a chance that might go in. The percentages are low, but he knows his chances are well, are good. Um, and that's how they play the round. They're very surgical. 
with that. And when the chances are there and they have a wedge in their hand, they attack, but they're much more patient with their attack. And I just wanted you to maybe touch on like the importance of having an intention of giving yourself chances mm-hmm. versus trying to attack, 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 and not really being intentional about where you're hitting it or what clubs you're selecting. Yeah, no, I think that's a great um example there is I like to look at the whole of 18 holes, right? So when I work with the player and sometimes he'll, uh, he or she will call me after a practice round and we are now creating those chances, right? And, but 18, it's not necessarily making 18 birdies per se. It's based on my strengths and my shot patterns and how I'm feeling and the weather, what's the best way for me to get around this golf course to give myself the best opportunity to certainly play well. Now I'm, uh, as a mental game coach, I, sometimes I get pigeonholed into that. I'm only about processes and it's not about the outcome. Mm. Uh, I actually start with the outcome all the time because the outcome matters. You guys have to sign a scorecard, right? We don't get, yeah. we don't get, we don't get gold stars for great processes and we get to be in the FedEx cup because of great processes. We want great processes to lead to outcome. So let's embrace outcome matters. Finally, because everybody said it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Okay. But my follow-up questions is, in order to give me the best opportunity to shoot that score, to win that tournament, how do I have to show up now becomes more intentional-based. I need to be patient at a U.S. Open because um, I'm going to be hitting for a lot of middle of greens, and there's going to be some bogeys out there. That's an intention of behavior. I'm going to do that by having a pre-shot routine that keeps me clear in the present moment. Awesome. Colin wants to win every single freaking week, Okay. <laughs> So why I don't know why we've gotten away from, it's not about the outcome. It's not about the outcome. It's about the outcome. Why don't we embrace it and get excited about it and realize that there's behaviors that could lead me to that. And part of it is give myself chances, play within my, uh, my strengths. So that's where I, again, I have a little bit of a pet peeve in the mental game world is we say it's only about the process. And I said, okay, but the process is built on the outcome you want. I have some players who want to be the number one player in the world. And I have some players who want to make the cut. Right. Their processes are different. I'm just well, letting you know. And and Rick and we've talked we've talked about this with other guys or you know other swing coaches or mental coaches or you've got to communicate differently with those types of players. Some guys I, I can say I think it was Brett McCabe who said this. Some of his players can be said, you know, I can say, well, go have fun today. Or others, I can't say that because they're it's totally. not about having it's not about having fun, totally. right? Yeah. And, and so maybe talk about that a little bit with your guys. <laughs> well, having fun is an interesting one because then I ask, can you play mediocre golf and have fun? And some of these players are wired. They say, no way. So then why is that a goal then? Okay. Because right. if I know it's only related to an outcome, I know it's not going to happen. But I had a player yesterday, a junior golfer, where we, and we didn't label it as fun as much as, hey, what would have to happen for us to enjoy this round more? And his dad said, he could smile more. I go, great. In between every shot, you're going to put a smile on your face. Your dad's going to check. Okay. Now that could be a behavior that I could do, right. but it, it's, it's more of us understanding how do we want to be on that golf course? Colin wants to be focused and calm. He believes that's going to help him play his best golf. We need processes that would be focused and calm. I have other players who are more energized, man. Oh, man, I'm intense, man. I play my best golf this way. I'm going to have to know personality styles, right? I, I've done stuff in personality profiling. I, you got, as a good coach, you need to know who's in front of you and what motivates them, what kicks them in the butt. You know, sometimes it's score related. Sometimes that's the last thing you want to talk about. So I think good coaches know their player that's in front of them. And I do not have a one size fits all pump up pre-round speech for everybody. Absolutely yeah. not, yeah. I think what's important for the 15 handicap to take away from all the great stuff you just said, Rick, is that acknowledge the outcome, acknowledge the situation, but know that the processes is how you accomplish it, right? We're, our brain can't suppress things. You tell them not to think of a elephant, what's in our brain right now? It's an elephant. It's really, it's like really hard to suppress that, right? Which then creates this whole tension and stress response and things. So Right. So, and sorry to cut you off, the, Go ahead. the popped in my head is that I don't do much on stuff on social media, but um, I got into a thread um, uh, about somebody says, go play a round of golf without any outcome goals. And I chimed in, I said, good luck with that. And they said, what do you mean? I go, every time you have a target to go to, right? 
That's an outcome. Well, I didn't mean that. I go, well, that's what it is. Every shot has an outcome. It has a target. Am I just going to just hit anywhere I want because I have this wonderful process? I'm going to breathe and just walk. No, you're going to have somewhere you're going for. But what we've been trained lately is that outcome, don't think about outcome. That's bad. I go, no, outcome can be excitement. I can't wait to play tomorrow because I'm going to shoot low and I've been working hard at it and I'm going to do these processes to do with it. It's a target game. It's an outcome on every single shot. I want somebody to can't wait to take on that outcome. But I think we're, by only saying it's only a process game, we're getting people to, once then they are put under their gun, they're going, oh my gosh, I see my name on the leaderboard. Oh my gosh. What? It's like, yeah, you should have dealt with that two years ago when we know you're going to play professional golf and you're going to see your name on the leaderboard for you. Like Colin said on the final round of PGA, sees his name on the leaderboard um, on number 12, tied with six other players, Dustin Johnson, Tony Finau. He looks at it and goes, huh, tied for the lead. Somebody's got to win. Might as well be me. Yeah, That's a self-talk. Not, oh my gosh, don't choke. Da, da, da. It's how you interpret the outcome that's the important part. Let's not shy away from it at all. I know I get real. No, no, no. And this, this is what I want to <laughs> say too. And uh, my coach used to say to us as kids, look, your golf or your round or your hole, it doesn't def- find you it only reveals you right and so it's what you do with that result right don't lose don't obsess over it don't lose your mind over it, but take it in learn from it right so that's kind of is that when you talk about outcome you've really got to you've really got to be aware of you know yeah, of, it, of, of the outcome and then and then how you go forward totally and, and and i rarely do this exercise but when somebody fears an outcome so much i then say okay you screwed up you choked now what <laughs> and they go um well i won't feel good i go yeah you're right 24 hours okay are you still is you still gonna get to eat you still gonna get to you know i try to put it in perspective okay mm-hmm. um but once we know that back to you the, i love what you said evan about chances i give myself enough chances and embrace the chances of being in contention and sometimes it doesn't work well, but I can learn from that. When Colin missed the putt at the uh, Charles Schwab against Daniel Berger, he goes, oh, I lost focus in that playoff. I missed a short putt. I'm going to learn from that. Not, oh, my God, blah, 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 right? It's like, just deal with it, <laughs> okay? Yeah. yeah. But we get into that this is going to define us, and oh, my gosh, and then it becomes bigger than it is. It's one round of hundreds of rounds. It's one shot of thousands of shots. Yet I still want that that 100% intention of being my best for this moment. I get to learn from it, make adjustments, and so on and so forth. And so, sometimes, and Rick, sometimes tough love is the way to go. You bet. Depending on your player, right? And I remember I'll say, quick freshman year in high school, I was in the sectionals to try to qualify for state. You know, I knew I was on the number. I bogeyed the last two holes and I missed it by one. Next week, I see my coach and he goes, "Man, how's it feel to choke?" And I and I said, uh, "Well, it sucks." And he goes, well, what happened out there? I said, well, I got nervous on the last two holes and I started making tentative swings and missing greens. And he goes, well, all right, well, you got you to <laughs> do a better job of breathing. You got to do a better job of keeping your composure, of, of focusing on your routine. And that was, you know, and then sectionals were, were pretty easy those next three years. But he had, to get, he had to get hard on you, you know, so I just wanted to share that. Definitely. You, you want to learn. So the next time you're in that situation, you're going to do something differently. I'm not saying that you solved it, but Hey, I'm nervous. Hey coach, what should I do next time when I'm nervous? Well, let's take some deep breaths. Let's make sure the exhale is a little bit more. Let's look at this now as something we're excited about instead of fear. I mean, we now can have something to learn from and, and you know, type of thing. So I'm very much that those opportunities uh, are going to be there if we're open to learning from them. Yeah. Yeah. Something you said, Rick, made me think of an exercise I do with companies which is, uh, I actually got this from Tim Ferriss, one of his TED Talks, it's called Fear Setting. And yes. it's reverse engineering the worst case scenario, right? So you write down all of your worst case scenarios and then you think to yourself, okay, well, how would I, if it happened, what would I do? And also what can I do to prevent that from happening? And immediately you start realizing that, okay, if it happens, there's actually like eight things I could do to get out of it. And I think his point was, let me see if I can remember how he said it. He basically said the, the chance for the worst case scenario to happen is like a three out of 10, right? And we're preventing ourselves from doing things or committing 
like to a shot in golf um, because of the three out of 10 chance or two out of 10 that it happens. And we're missing out on the eight of eight out of nine experience out of 10 of jubilation. If we go for it and the best case scenario happens. Right. And that's just how we're wired. We're wired to your point to avoid pain and, and struggle. And I think that's really interesting to remember on the golf course too, of like, how much are we operating to prevent the worst case scenario and not actually thinking ourselves through what would happen if it did happen. And we're still there, right? We're, it's not that it's, so I just wanted to say that I know we have only got a couple minutes left here, but I think that's important for people to know. Definitely. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't want to go into that water hazard. Sure. <laughs> that's a true statement. Yeah. But when then we internalize it that, oh my gosh, that's going to be, I'm going to have a double bogey and I'm going to lose this. Now we've created a story about that. And now it's triggered a stress response, but it's a, it's a data. Oh, what's my, what's my carry distance on that? Oh, it's 171. But if I go left here, I go, it's just data. It's, it's yeah. hard to, it's hard to get emotional about, about those facts. Uh, but when we have the story wrapped to it, then we of course go down a different rabbit hole. Sure. Love so it. My last question, and Serm, if you have another quick one, go for it. Um, my last question for you, Rick, before we let you go and tell people where to find you is a lot, a lot of people may not know this, but I was talking to Leo before we had you on. I was like, Leo, give me something like, you know, what should I know about Rick? Tell me something, maybe yeah. something people don't know. He said that you and George Gankis, who we've had on the show a couple of years ago, played on the same team at Cal State Northridge. And, um, I, I talked to George yesterday in prep for this, and he just had the best things to say about you. He said, you're an unbelievable guy. You've always been a hard worker. You've always been really focused. Um, but I'm curious, just how cool is that? What is your thoughts? Yeah. Like looking back to being college teammates, and now you're both teaching some of the best talent on the PGA Tour. Yes. What do you think about when you think back to that? Is that, is it surprising? Is it, is like, what comes up for you when you think about it? Yeah, that? I, I, I think surprising because if we, we live 30 miles away from each other, we go to the same college, we play a couple years together in, in college. Uh, and then we don't, you know, we, we, we kind of lose touch with each other. And then sure. I start having uh, my mental game business starts growing. I have this junior was one day and I said, Oh, so who's your swing instructor? And he goes, George Gankis. I go, are you flipping kidding me? Right. <laughs> and so that started another connecting. Cause I always say to the swing coach, I say, Hey, I'm working with your client. This is what sure. we're working on. Cause I want a team environment on that. And, um, and then with, with Matthew Wolf's success, Colin's success, we're now seeing each other in PJ tour sites and it, it's awesome. And what I love, George brings uh, an energy and a passion for the game that uh, I would hope I do too, but he brings that. And that's awesome to see. Right. And, and how he goes about that. So I know he deserves it, it working hard because he wasn't a junior golfer. I mean, you already know his story, but right. here's a guy who worked his tail off to get on a, on a division one team. And then he, he worked his tail off to become a great coach. So uh, I have a lot of respect for him, but it, yeah, it's, it's an interesting. Uh... That's awesome. <laughs> Funny. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if you guys want to learn more from Rick, ricksessinghouse.com, H-A-U-S, um, is probably one of the best places to find you. I know you're also on Instagram at Rick Sessinghouse. You've also written a book, Golf, The Ultimate Mind Game on Amazon. Um, anything and, else? And Evie uh, consults businesses too. He's and you consult world. businesses. I've done some stuff with them, yeah. So Rick, I just want to give the floor to you. Is there, number one, anywhere else people should find you? And two, maybe more importantly, you know, thinking about the 15 handicap again. Is there anything that we didn't talk about or anything you want to, leave them with before we sign off yeah sure i mean yeah website ricksessinghouse.com easiest place to connect with me uh you know i i certainly started my career working with a lot of 15 and 18 handicaps on their golf swing and a little bit on their mental side and i i always tap back into because i'm very much into flow is part of flow is the intrinsic motivation to enjoy the process and part of that is the passion and the purpose and why are you doing it in the first place? So for everybody out there, I want you to just answer that simple question. Why do you play golf? And uh, I would hope it brings up, I love it. I get to do it with my family. I get to do it with my friends. I get to travel. I get to, instead of I do it because I need to win the member member and then people make me think I'm a good player. 
extrinsic motivation is okay, but flow has a lot to do with intrinsic motivation. Let's tap into the reasons why we love this game. And if you go to the first tee that way, I think you're going to play better. Um, but we're talking about enjoyment. So that would be my last thing. Love That's it. That's great. That's great. Well, we know you got another call to hop on, Rick. Thank you so much for hopping aboard. We'd love to have you back. You um, and you know, if Colin ever wants to ride the train, that invite's open as well. <laughs> gotcha. So, you know, I he know likes, he likes birdies. He might but, like birdies yeah. more than punch. But yeah. <laughs> That's, That's always an option. So, Rick, thank Wonderful. you so much. In all seriousness, we loved Rick. having you. It was great. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take care.